Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from the book of Jeremiah. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Uh, turn in, like I said, Jeremiah chapter 9. We're going to try and get through a couple of chapters tonight. And uh, we'll be looking at chapters 9 and 10. And we picked it up right in the middle of uh, Jeremiah's mourning. He's in this part of mourning uh, for backslidden Judah. And he's mourning as the, God is calling them to repent. They're refusing. They're not listening. And Jeremiah is the mouthpiece of the Lord, if you will. And they're not taking heed to the warnings that... Uh, that God is giving them through Jeremiah. He's, like I said, he's just that, the one who's called by God. He's the one who's, uh, at this time, he's, God's trying to shine a light on, on his children, right? And so he gives the light, and here it is, the truth of his word, and he's got the prophet out there. But nobody's, nobody's paying attention to it. And the people are just following the leaders, and the leaders are the, the priests and the prophets, and they're falsely... Um, prophesying they're not leading they're not leading correctly or following correctly so they can't lead correctly and remember they've been trusting in the temple of the god instead of the god of the temple right there's a, there's a difference in that it's like trusting in the god they're trusting in the temple to, to protect them instead of the god of the temple to protect them and they've got kind of things out of order and then in in we started in chapter 7 last week and or a couple weeks ago and we remember that in chapter 7 through 10, here's uh, the prophet Jeremiah. He's giving this, uh, he's in the temple gate, uh, giving this exhortation, this word, this um, proclaim, proclamation to uh, back, the backslidden nation. And so he, this is called kind of like the temple proclamation. The, you know, he's grabbing the people as they come to church. He's like saying, you know, somebody at the front door saying, hey, don't forget you're going to meet with Jesus I mean, this is what Jeremiah is in the temple again. He's giving them the word of God, and they're going to hide in the temple. In a sense, uh, they have this, you know, spiritual connotation: the temple is going to save them, or Jerusalem, the city on the hill. But uh, you know, here's Jeremiah right at the gate, saying, "You know, what are you going there for? You going there to trust in the God of the temple? You going to trust in the temple?" He's not saying those exact words, but that's the gist of what he's saying. And God has given them every opportunity to repent. So remember, he's, he has a heart for these backslidden people. He wants them to repent, but they continue doing nothing but provoking the Lord in anger. And so, you know, it's hard. It's hard for Jeremiah. And it's sad because they wanted the blessings that were going to come from being with the Lord and having this relationship with the Lord. But they were totally abusing their relationship, and they had really turned in their relationship and exchanged it for serving idols. But they still wanted the blessing of that would come with you know being obedient. But they weren't obedient. You know, they thought, well, I, you know, I just want it because I'm a Christian. I, I come, I want it because I'm in the tribe of Judah, whatever the case may be. But Jeremiah, this it really testifies of his mourning. Look at the twenty-first verse of the eighth chapter. We left off last week. He says, for the hurt of the daughter of my people, I, I, I am hurt. I am mourning, says Jeremiah. Astonishment has taken hold of me. The prophet is anguished over their actions. It, it hurts him. He hurts him to see this. And I think you, you and I are the same, right? When we see people, not only, um, it, it just saddens us with grief when we see them in their actions because they backslidden. But not just because they backslidden that they turned back to, to the world that they, that the Lord delivered them from, but we, we can pray. And that's a good thing. And we need to continue to pray. Let's see God of power restore. God of the power call him back. And this gives us hope. This is kind of the, I mean, week after week we come out and we hear about, oh, here, there it is again. Here's Jeremiah talking to the people, people of Judah and it's a doom and gloom for him. But, but there's a lot of grace. In God's judgment, he's calling them out. He'll call them out. And, and you and I, I think of when we go through this thing, we, we go through Jeremiah, we look at it and we say, you know what, we have prayer. We have a part in this. And I share a story with you, just a simple story. Carl was sharing with us a prayer on Sunday night. Sunday morning, I announced that we pray. We pray the first Sunday of the, of the month in the prayer room or in the living room on the Sunday nights at 6 o'clock. And I had shared with the congregation, with you guys, that we were going to pray for, we we're going through Jeremiah, 
And because we're going through Jeremiah and we're looking at the backsliders, and then on Sunday mornings we just finished First Thessalonians, we're looking at the soon return of the Lord. I mean, there's no time to have backsliders still be out there backsliding. We need to pray that they'll come back. And Carl shared this story. He goes, can I interrupt for a second and share this story and share on, you know? And he was just sharing how he would pray for a friend of his for a long time. For a long time. Never heard of the guy. Thousands of prayers going out. And then he's walking just, I think, the other day or last week or something that he was walking with a friend of his and, he, and his friend was given a testimony of somebody that he had. He goes, by the way, do you know, whoever his name is, you know, do you know so-and-so? I, I know so-and-so. That guy, you know, he goes, well, that guy's so on fire for the Lord. Carl was just like, what? <laughs> I mean, 40 years, right? They've been praying for him, but don't give up. And you may not know and you may not hear until 40 years later, but look, all those prayers were not in vain. And so we can pray for these people. And we always look, listen, we have a tendency to look at backsliders and we look at their sin and, and the, the filthiness that they're in and we go, oh no. And we, we concentrate on that. We look at that as like being the power that has them in grip on them. And I'm like, no, let's just pray that the God of heaven will break through to them. You know, and so we have that hope, and I just so appreciated that prayer. So we began to pray for people by name, and we're not praying for them in there. Look, it just rejuvenated our prayer night. It was really cool. So in chapter 9, it continues with the prophet mourning. Look at verse 1 and 2. He says that, he says, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of my daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers that I might leave my people and go from them for they are all adulterers. I mean, here's Jeremiah He's saying, look, at you know, the, the people around me, they're all adulterers. This is the, the society, the, the society, I got stuck there. You had to hit the thing, you know, <laughs> this is the society <laughs> that they're living in. You know, they're living in everybody's backside. There's a, the adulterers are all around them, but yet God has called them to live in that generation for they are all adulterers and assembly of treacherous men. I mean, he's kind of got sympathy on one hand for the people. But it's a, it's causing him this great grief because, you know, yes, he has a heart for them and you, you, you don't want to, you want to be sympathetic in a sense. But at the same time, he has this disgust because of the way they're choosing to live their lives. I mean, you and I, right? We don't want to see anybody backslide. I mean, you guys were delivered from the world. Yeah, right? Well, some of you guys were born Christians, huh? Okay. Yeah, I see. All men are liars. But that's scripture. <laughs> But, but really, I mean, we're, we're kind of delivered. Even if we were born again at such a young age, we're delivered from the world. We never had to go through that. We never had to go through some of the stuff that many of us had to go through. But we, 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 it burdens us. But not just to see them go through it. It was disgusting, not just that they're going through what they're going through. I mean, they tasted and see that the Lord is good. They heard of the stories. Uh, you know, they had the word of God. They had all these things, but yet they walked away from the Lord. And then disgust then often brews deeper because of they're not taking heed to what's being said by the Lord, right? So it's one thing that they're in sin, they're, they're, they're in this backslidden state, and it's another because, you know, they're not taking heed to the word. Would you listen? And Jeremiah is weeping in his heart, he says, with water of tears flowing from his face. I mean, this is just deep in him, you know? And he's longing for a place in the wilderness. He says, I kind of just want to get out of here. I want to be alone. You know, I just want to be alone away from the people. I was telling Elaine the other day, I said, you know, I just want to go in and, and empty myself, my mind, my heart. I want to go up to the mountain uh, and just get one of these little cabins. She says, do you want to take the trailer? And not this time of year, I'm not. I don't want to get away that far. <laughs> but, you know, just that time to get away, to debrief, just dump out. Just, Here I am, Lord. That's Jeremiah. He just wants to get away. And because they were all walking in sin, verse 2, they were all adulterers. I just want to be done with this stuff for a while. It's heavy carrying this. It's a burden. It's a burden that the Lord carries. But you as a shepherd or you as a prophet, as Jeremiah, you're seeing this. and You're delivering the message of, of hope, but yet nobody's listening, you know. And you know that they're going to go through things. You know the consequences. And he's just saying, oh, that I had a place in the wilderness, a lodging for travelers. Just, you know, let me get away for a little bit. And yes, it's sad to see a family member, a friend, a loved one going through, you know, they're going through what they're going through. 
But again, we have the answer, and I, I want to keep pointing to that. We have the answer, and the answer is Jesus, right? And Jesus should outshine the issue with the sin that they've fallen back into. Jesus has the power. He has the power. This is the thing that I, I, I want to really see. I pray that this happens. That men and women would really see Jesus for who he is and they would surrender their lives to him. And that we would see him once again healing backsliders, but also people that are coming, you know, with, with real major league problems in their life. We all got major league problems. But they would, they would open up to him and say, you know, I just don't want church. I want, I want to be healed by God. I want to be freed up by God. I want, you know, I want to be living a powerful life by God. I just don't want to be a nominal Christian or a guy that comes to church, gal comes to church, you know, once or twice a week and, you know, be a part of whatever. I want to be, a, I want to be part of this. Lord, what are you doing? You know, I just want to be so excited about what you have planned. That's what I want to be about. So, you know, here's Jeremiah. We, we do have that answer. We have the answer. And I want to live that answer out by proclaiming to the people and never giving up, even if it's falling on deaf ears. Keep giving it out. And he's mourning. No doubt about it. We mourn at times. But he also recalls why they're in a situation that they're in. And maybe you know somebody like this. Listen, they're going to deserve, speaking of Judah, they deserve what they got coming to them. Judah, there was no honesty there. There was nothing in that text. Look at verse 3. This is the, the depth of their lives, pretty much some of it. He says, and like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. I mean, James James tells us, what a strong muscle the tongue is. We use it to bless God and curse at the same time. I mean, the, the tongue is just a powerful thing. So you have, he says, you know what? They bent their bow. They have used their tongue for lies. They bent their tongue for lies. Uh, they are not valiant for the truth on the earth. The, the, you know what? Not And listen, it's not that he's just living for any truth, the truth. You notice it says for the truth. There's only one truth. And it's Jesus Christ. When you and I go, well, well, I got some kind of truth. I go to church. No, are you living for the truth? The fact that Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way. Right? I, I am. And it's all about Jesus, you know. And, 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 and here, you know, you think about the truth in John 14. Jesus is the truth, the way of life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. So it's the truth. And there was no truth. They were not valiant. They were courageous for the truth. That's why I want to live passionately. I really, I don't want to go backwards. Even in my, in my zeal, I, Lord, fire me up by your spirit every morning. I just want, I want to have the power of the Holy Spirit. God, what do you have for us today? You know, if you listen, we have the opportunity and the blessedness to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have our lives to live that way. And He wants us. It doesn't matter where we come from, where, what, where we've been. The moment that we're saved, the moment we give our lives in, from that moment on, He says, listen, I got this whole just this life for you to be lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. To live that power and live in that victory and, and live in that truth. And he says that, you know, he offers that truth. I just, I don't want to go back and he says, so there was none valiant for the truth. None, for the truth, none, none courageous. In the day that we live in, we think, are we courageous for the truth? Because there's a lot of people that are courageous for a lot of things out there. Do you ever notice that? I mean, they're, it's just crazy the world we live in. There's all this opposition. They're pretty courageous in that. I can't believe they say the things that they say. I can't believe they do the things that they do. But I'm wondering, the church's part, how we should, and what's our response to everything that's going on out there? Are we going to be courageous about the truth? These people weren't living for the truth. And he says, for they, were not, they are not valued for the truth on the earth. For they proceeded from evil to evil. And they do not know me. Uh, and they do not know me, says the Lord. Oh, man. See, why didn't they know him? Because if they did, they would know him in spirit and in truth, but there was no truth in them. So they couldn't know him in the right spirit. It, it, so, you know, and this is sad because they were, listen, they were given the truth. He's going to talk about them forsaking the Lord. They were given the truth. Ephesians 2, Paul talks about what you and I have now that we didn't have before Christ. He said they had the promises. They had the covenants, right? They had the word. They had law. They had all this stuff. And you and I didn't have any of that. But by the blood of Jesus, it brought us both near. We're one in Christ. We didn't have any of that. But they did. They had all of that stuff. 
but they weren't walking in it. And because they weren't walking in the truth, they couldn't reproduce truth to the next generation. Look, they're not going to come to it when they lay down their pillow at night and through osmosis, they're going to come up with truth. They're going to see truth being lived out in you and I. We're, we're, the, we're the bearers of truth or we're the bearers of a message. The, 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 we're, the, we're the message, what we're living for. And in verse 4, he says, everyone that heed, everyone take heed to his neighbor and do not trust any brother. Listen, without, tr- without truth, how can you trust anyone? There's no standard. They're not reproducing. There's no standard worthy of trust. For every brother will utterly supplant and every neighbor will walk with slanders. And this seems to be like a picture of our modern day political scene. But everyone will, verse 5, everyone will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongues to speak lies. They worry themselves to commit iniquity. Your dwelling place is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit, they refuse to know me, says the Lord. And again, Jeremiah, dwelling in the midst of this society. They would rather live in deceit. They would rather live with lies. They're okay with that. Remember, it said that the people, the prophets and the priests were teaching baloney, and the people were eating it up. They liked it that way. They said, hey, I just like it that way. See, it's impossible to have this lasting unity where there's no truth. I mean, even the disciples, right, they gave their lives, they, they, they laid down their lives for the truth. If it was a lie, they wouldn't have been unified. If it was a bogus message, well, Jesus isn't really real, ah, come on, man, somebody was going to give in at some point. I'm not dying for anything. I'm not, you know, it's not about that. But because there was truth, they were unified and saying, look it, even if at the point of death it comes to death, it doesn't matter because there's truth here. But where there's where there's a a lack of truth, I mean, who's going to stand up for the lie? Somebody's going somebody's going to uh, cry, right? I mean, how long will the lie last? How long before somebody turns over? And without truth, everything unravels at the seam. And this is what's happening with the fabric of society here. There's no truth there, so what's happening at the the very fabric of society unravels because nobody's speaking truth. I mean, it's hard to believe nowadays. What is truth? You look at the internet. What's true? Remember the story I told you about my granddaughter Sunday watching the news, and it wasn't like a, uh, it was just the regular news, the local news. That's, that's sad, Poppy. I can't believe that. You don't know how to read it. Verse six, it says, they refuse to know God. And this isn't in an intellectual, intellectual, they knew him intellectually. They knew of him. But knowing God in the sense that they were following following them with their lives. They weren't trusting God. And that's what he says. You know what? They, they, were, they refused to know me. They didn't want to relinquish their lives to me. They didn't trust me. Or they just wanted their lives to be filled in any other way. There was something else out there that they thought was better. And that's what was happening. They were fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And because of this, because of the lies and the refusal to come to terms with the Lord, Without accepting to live their lives according to his word, then judgment was going to come. Look at verse 7. Therefore, because of what I just said, because of what the Lord has just said. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will refine them and try them. There's a fire. So it speaks about. It speaks about the refining of metals. You put it in the heat, bringing the impurities to the top. He's going to put them through the fire. He says, how shall I deal with the daughter uh, with the daughter of my people? Uh, their tongue is an arrow shot out. It speaks deceit. One speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth. You know, remember the false prophets were doing this. They were speaking peace, peace, but there was no peace. They were speaking these lies. They were speaking these things. God was saying judgment. And they were saying, no, 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 peace, peace, bro. No, no, judgment's coming. Peace, peace, bro. It's like everybody's tired. Everybody's trying to take a chill pill. Just don't, don't worry about it. It's like today, it's like, you know, the Lord can return any time. I don't know, man. I kind of good. So, you know, I don't know. Peace, peace, bro. It's like, no, no, no. Check it out. <laughs> Look at the scene. Look at what's out there. Open your eyes. And so here you have it to where they're going to be refined. Um, you know, and one speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth. But in his heart, he lies in wait. And shall I not, shall I not punish them of these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? See, because of their, their deceitful ways, the Lord had nothing left to do but to take action. Soon. I mean, his long suffering is going to run out. And it's for your, for the people's own benefit. 
See, the refining is meant to burn away the impurities and really bring refinement, bring purity. That's what he, that's what the Lord desires. He knows the consequences. Again, that's going to take place out there. People will just continue to live the way they're going to live. So he sends somebody your way. Send a messenger your way. Send something your way to get grab your attention. An accident maybe, just to stop you, right where you're at. In verse 10 he says, I will take up a weeping and a wailing for the mountains and for the dwelling place of the wilderness, a lamentation, because they are burned up so that no one can pass through, nor can men hear the voice of the cattle, both the birds of the heavens and the beasts have fled. They are gone. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a den of jackals, and I will make the city of Judah desolate without an inhabitant. That's some pretty hefty signs of judgment. I mean, like turning right now, your life is forever changed. I was talking to somebody about uh, the rapture. I said, you realize how that changes the course of the world. I mean, just like that. So many people raptured from all over the world. And it just puts a startling, things change drastically, which sets up the scene for the Antichrist. But because of the sins that they had been committing, he wasn't going to let them continue in that way. He wasn't going to, I mean, listen, because God is allowing things to happen today, he's not going to turn an eye to it. He's going to take care of it. We think of all the things that are going on with, you know, abortion, the murders, the, the, um, political system, whatever you, whatever you have, you know, he's not going to let them get away with it forever. We have to worry about ourselves. We get to be praying. What's my own heart like? God, help me to just maintain through, you know, the, the path through this course. And obviously some have said, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation like this. I have. Some have said, hey, wait, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought God gives us a choice in how we're to live our lives. Oh, he does. True. Right? He does let us have a choice. But then he also, he loves us enough to warn us when uh, of the consequences when we're making bad choices. And you can make the choice, but he loves us enough to say, I wouldn't do that. And if you do that, check this out. Better watch out for this. And at times he'll turn up the fire, just like he's going to do in their lives with the captivity. And it may be in our lives. Sometimes there's a fire that comes up that he'll allow to take place, but he's trying to get our attention. He, he wants us to see. Anybody that's turned his back, you know, turned his back on him, he wants them to come back. He doesn't want to live that lifestyle. So he'll allow things to happen in their lives. So they'll look to him. And he's going to say, you know what, there's consequences that follow the decisions that you're making. He doesn't want, he doesn't want to see us suffer. He wants us to live a life abundantly. Above, like I said, a life waking up every morning. God, pour your Holy Spirit out of me. I just want to be filled with your Holy Spirit today. My, you know what, my wife has never asked this. Why do you ask for that every day? Because she knows I need it. She knows we need it, right? Every morning, Lord, fresh right now. I could be up for two hours before her, and, and, you know, she'll get up or an hour before her, and I've already spent time with the Lord in the Word, and I'm ready to go to work. I'm like, Lord, now, again, you know, I just want that. But see, this temporal chastening that was going to come upon them, even as bad as it was because the destruction of Jerusalem was nothing minor. You see, it was nothing in comparison for them to die in their sin and not having repented, and this is what the Lord gets our attention for. For the people that are out there in the world, he wants to get their attention. And people say, God's a hater. You've heard that, right? God is a hater. He doesn't love me. Why? Because he doesn't want you to live the way you want to, you want to live your life. He's warning you that you're going to drown. You're going to die. You're going to go to hell. He's just warning you. He loves you enough to send somebody your way. And, and they don't get it at that. And see, he, so, so this, this, this chastening and any, Hot water or heat that we might go through, this refining is just temporal compared to what, you know, eternity has. So you think about Jerusalem. It was this walled fortress. The people have put their confidence in it. And, you know, it was way up on a hill. It's impenetrable. They thought it was all good. A safe dwelling. But they didn't recognize it, or they, I guess, forgot to take uh, uh, warning to it that they're not safe from the Lord. The Lord can get anywhere. And the Lord can let anything happen. And the Lord was going to refine. He was going to test Judah. He was going to turn up the heat to do that. And the fire here was going to consist of, listen, they were going to, the city was going to lie in ruins. People were going to be taken captive. Some were going to die. And think about this. For what? Why, why was this going to happen? Why? Because God woke up one day and he had a bad day? Not at all. But all because of their flesh. They were sowing to the flesh. All because that they wanted to go out and they thought, well, I have God, but what else is there? 
And they began, and God warned them about the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, and all these things. He warned them about them. But then they just went off and they sowed their flesh, and they began to incorporate into their lifestyle the pagan worship, so forth and whatnot, right? And, and, and they rejected the counsel of God. And in return, they've continually rejected his calling out to repent. So in return, they're going to pay a price. Listen, merely going through the motions of religion isn't the same as worshiping God in spirit and in truth. That's what they've been going through for a long time. They're just going through the motions. And religion is oftentimes defi defined as man's attempt to please God, right? It's out what we're doing. You think about religion versus relationship. That religion is something that we have to do to please God. And relationship is saying, hey, buddy, I've done it for you. Come to me. Jesus speaking, not me. Hey, I've done it for you. I've done it all. The work is completed. I paid the price. You come to me. Be born again. Let me put my spirit in you, Jesus says, you know. Put a spirit of God in you. We repent and we come to that place. See, he desires obedience. He's not looking for a sacrifice. That's obedience. In John 8, 47, speaking to the religious leaders, Jesus said, he who is of God hears God's word. He hears him. Therefore, you, speaking of these religious leaders, a thousand years later, you know, therefore you did not hear because you're not of God. You know, comfort, trying to comfort somebody without repentance. Some of the other times we've got to speak the truth in love. Because if we're not, true repentance is a part of the thing. It's not going to work. It's, repentance is what gets us right with God. And, and it's, if not, it's just this false hope. You know, there's... False hope is saying peace, peace when there is no peace, you know. And remember, again, these false prophets were saying peace, peace, but judgment was coming. Well, look at verse 12. He says, who is the wise man, or excuse me, who is the wise man who may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken that he may declare it? Why does the land uh, perish and burn up in the wilderness so that no one can pass through? And, and just as he, he asked that, before anybody can speak or answer, the Lord lays down the obvious. In verse 13, he says, And the Lord said, Because they've forsaken my law, which, and you might want to underline these. I always, I love to underline these, which I set. So you can say that. They've forsaken my law. Here you go. They, I, that which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it. But they have. Uh, walked according to the dictates of their own hearts, and uh, after the Baals, which their fathers taught them. Therefore, again, because of that, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will, and he's going to make sure you can underline that, and he says he'll do it, I will feed them, uh, this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them, also among the Gentiles, whom uh, neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will, there God says it, settles it, I will send a sword after them until I have consumed them. Listen, they wanted bitterness, they wanted to uh, partake of bitterness, so he would deliver them to bitterness. And because they had forsaken the Lord, you notice again it says, they have forsaken so you can't forsake something you have never had. And the Lord is sharing with them, listen, I laid it down before you, but they have forsaken, you have not walked according to my ways, they have neglected to listen and obey, and they have walked according to their own selfish desires. Listen, they had that relationship, they knew what it was like, they had the word to go back to. Ezra reads it, Nehemiah chapter 8, the, the, they're coming out of captivity, and he reads the word and the people are bawling. Why? Because the word of God is being taught. It's just being read. And there's people out there like, we have speakers nowadays. <laughs> I look at it like this. The crowd is huge and people are going, did you get that? Ezra, he's on a soapbox. Did you get that? Hey, did you hear what he said? He was talking. And people are just weeping because they realize how they had gotten so far away from God by not taking heed to the word. And they're just weeping because then they realize how good that God is. And they come back to him. It's just amazing. But they've forsaken that again. Forsaken. They've left it. You know, the Lord says he will never leave us nor forsake us. But we have a tendency to do that. So, you know, the Lord says, you know, or it's obvious that if anybody's moved, it's not been the Lord, right? 
we wandered away or were filled distant from the Lord, he's still there. He's still there. Three times the Lord says, I will. He testifies, I will, I will, I will. Then believe him. He will do, he will accomplish what he says he's going to do. The forsaking again, because you have done this, I will do that. And for clarity, he says, because they have, I will. They've done these things. You know, it's just not not a bad night for me. I, because, but because of these things, I will. They're, they're reaping that to which they have sown. I, they, they're going to get it. They're going to get it. They were, they're asking for it. And then Jeremiah, lists, he goes into these things of three separate pronouncements uh, here. Verse 17, he says, the, the, this one, he's calling for the women, uh, the wailing women. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider and call for the morning women, not the early morning women, but the morning women, that they may come and send for skillful, skillful wailing women. Get the best weepers that you can buy. So he's saying, right? Get the best weeping women money can buy. That they may come, verse 18, let them make haste and take up a wailing for us that our eyes may run with tears and our eyelids gush with water for a voice of wailing is heard from Zion how we are plundered we are greatly ashamed because we have forsaken the land because we have been cast out of our dwelling yet hear the word of the Lord O women and let your ear receive the word from his mouth teach your daughters wailing and everyone her neighbor a lamentation for death has come through our windows. Uh, our windows has entered our palaces to kill off our children, no longer to be outside and the young men no longer to be on the streets. This, what they would do is at a funeral is they would, the family would hire mourners, weeping women, and you would get the best weeping women that you can possibly do to let them know something's happening. They've lost a loved one. And they were, if you get the best weeping women, it really testified that, oh, they're, listen how much they're weeping. They really love these people. They're really missing. They're really mourning. So they would do it. So the Lord is telling them, is it gather, gather the mourners, gather, gather the weepers because it's time. You see, he see, he's telling them, get ready to mourn. The funeral is about to take place. The inhabitants of Judah is a, uh, they're going to go into captivity. It's about to begin. So you may as well get your choir ready. And this funeral dirge was over the, the death of children and the young men. They're, they're going to be killed. And when the Babylonians come, there's going to be atrocity. There's going to be people dying for that. And this is, again, spiritual, the lack of spiritual growth and, and, and the spiritual plumbing, plummeting that there, that's taking place. It, it takes effect all across the board. I mean, look at when you leave God, that you leave him and you leave him in the dust, and then all of a sudden, what happens to the morals? Psh, crash. And then, you know, they were not living according to his word. And I think somebody once said that we weren't built on, we were built with the, the Christian, this, this nation, we were built with the, the Christian mindset, with the ethics, the morality. You think of, you know, everybody can worship, you can worship whatever you want to do, but you got to have these. You got to have these ethics. You got to understand that this is the this is the backbone of it all. Thou shalt not murder. We're not into murdering. You know, you're not into this, that, or the other thing. It looked at worship the, the Lord your God. We were about Jesus, you know. But when people leave the leave the God they love, and all of a sudden there's something else that's going to fill into their lives, and something else becomes a priority. And then all of a sudden, then morality dips and, and the lack of proper parenting, the lack of grandparenting, the lack of, you know, marriages and all of these things. It just, it plummets. Well, the Lord says here, you know, there's going to be this death of the children and young men because of this. I see these things happening. And people have a chance to repent. You think about this in the book of Revelation when the great tribulation takes place. The people are being pummeled with the wrath of God being poured out on the earth. And things are just like turning sideways on them really quick. And what are they doing? God, in, in, the, in the midst of his judgment, there's grace, and he wants people to come to him. And people do get saved during the, the tribulation. But but most of the people, the majority of them, you know what they're saying? In a sense, they're looking to heaven, they're saying, would you stop it already? They're not repenting. 
They're not turning to God. They just wanted the, the, the wrath to stop. But it's what they deserve because of what they've rejected. They rejected the Lord. And so look, at that's the first uh, pronouncement. The second one is the severity of the judgment. Look at verse 22. Speak, thus says the Lord, even the carcasses of men shall fall as refuge on uh, the open field, like cutting after the harvest, and no one shall gather them. So they're just going to lay out there. Just th- This summer I have this field behind my house. I have a small backyard. But you open a gate and I have this maybe 40 or so feet before you get to the slough. And so I took this uh, mower out there, this big old, and I chopped it down. It was three feet high, you know, I'm chopping this stuff down, length of the house, most of the way out to the slough. And I just left it. I got done at the end of the day, I just left it. I didn't have to pick it up, I just left it. That's what the people are going to be like. They're going to be mowed down, man. And they're just going to leave them like nobody cares. There's bodies, they go, I don't care. I didn't care about that grass. I was good at it, it went down, you know, took it down. It's just fire hazard, whatever. But this is what the Lord is saying about the carcass of the men. They're going to be like, they're going to be laying all over the place. And they'll be laying around. Nobody's going to care enough to gather them up and to bring them in. And then this third pronouncement, look in verse 23. He's, this is, uh, he says, thus says the Lord. He says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, and let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Look, don't trust in yourself. Don't don't think that you have it all together. Don't think don't, I, they're going to come to me, and they're going to say, oh, look, I got this handled. In the midst of what I'm telling them, the Lord says, look, this is the way it's going to be. I, I, I don't want to question it. I don't want to second guess the Lord. But he's saying here that this is the way it's going to be. Don't glory in what you think you got going on. It's not your wisdom. It's not your power. It's not your riches. They're not going to save you. And the response is that this is what they're going to boast in. This is what the Lord knows this is what they're going to boast in. And this is what they're warned about. You know what I cringe when I hear people say, well, this is what I believe. It has nothing to do with scripture, uh, you know, scriptural uh, accuracy. But this is just what I believe. And the reason why they say this is what I believe and they're sick into it is because it fits their lifestyle and they don't want to change. You see, there's nothing on earth that compares with knowing the Lord. He says, you know what, uh, that he understand and know me. Let him glory in this. Can you believe it? We don't, it's not our riches. It's not our wisdom. Though we, there's wisdom. I mean, God gives men wisdom and he gives men riches and he gives men, you know, might, and power, strength. But, but we're not to glory in that. Can, there's nothing that outweighs knowing the Lord. I mean, can you imagine this? If the church was just so in love with Jesus, how people would just be drawn in from the outside. I mean, right? Because there'd be, what do they got that I don't have? And we're not worried about who's sitting next to me. We're just so enamored with the grace of God, the love of God, the power of God, the, the mercies of God, the loving kindness of God, the long suffering of God. We're just so enamored with that. I'm saying, Lord, you are so good. And when people see that, they think, wow, there's not, they're not tripping out in the church. They're just going to their Lord. And there's singleness about them. There's a singleness about their relationship with the Lord. They're, they just love the Lord. They have a head. They've got a, a, the, the direction that, that the, the church is going is because the Lord is in charge. And they're just looking at that. But see, he says, let him who, who let, um, but let he who glories glory in this that he understands and know me. What would we have that is better than Jesus? What do we have? Nothing. But we can glory in that. You know, I love it. And I was sharing with somebody today that I have a relationship with the Lord, not because of what I've done, but the God has a relationship with me. Why? He loves me and he loves you and he cares for us. And I look at it, I glory in that. I'm like, Lord, you're so good. I don't deserve any of this stuff. But, I, you know, for us to say, you know what, I'm going to trust in this or that or the other thing, ah, I cringe. You see, and in the midst of what man glories in, the Lord is here exercising all this other stuff, this loving kindness, this judgment, this righteousness. And the standard of righteousness that comes from the Lord was to belong to Israel as well. And look, look at this is the God we're following. He's the one that gives us everything that we're to live after, that righteousness. Same for you and I today. None of us has righteousness to boast about, right? We don't. But how do people see that we belong to the Lord? I mean, I think of the church. How do people, how can they tell? 
What are we boasting? What are we telling them? What is our life resembling? You see, is it this because we're rich and strong and wise? No, no, no. But even as we live in wisdom, we're testifying of how much we're just trusting the Lord. Our riches, how much we're still trusting the Lord. Or, you know, somebody is blessed with wealth. That's cool. But how much you're trusting in the Lord? See, it's where we're, who we're trusting in. And we're just glorying in that. And they should see that. And then there's a warning to those. Look at verse 25. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised with the uncircumcised, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the people of Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the farthest corners who dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. So he's saying, look, at, there's no, there's, I'm kind of comparing the two, but there's no, compa- there's no difference. The uncircumcised heathens, they're just as bad as you are. And you guys are uncircumcised and, you know, you're, you have the symbol of circumcision in the, in the foreskin of, you know, uh, being circumcised. But your hearts are not circumcised. That's what needs to take place. And God's going to bring judgment upon all who reject him, whether they're circumcised or not. Look at churchgoers. I, you know, you guys know this. I give an invitation out every Sunday. Why? Because I don't know who's saved. I've seen people sit in church for 10 years and, and all of a sudden they say, man, I finally got it. I finally received the Lord after 10 years. I remember uh, a few elderly people are coming to the church, and uh, two of them, one of them has passed on now, and they were living in, moved down to California. He would wait for the two ladies in the um, parking lot, and then he would finally started coming in. He sat there for a long time, and finally he got it. He said, man, I'm giving my life to the Lord. He ended up passing away and going to be with Jesus. But see... It doesn't matter. Coming to church is a great thing, and I love it. And not just because I'm the pastor. I love, I love people. I love God. I love his word. And I love giving that invitation out because I don't know who's saved, who's not saved. But here's the responsibility. You guys know more people than I do that are unsaved. I work with Christians. I, I try to get them saved every Tuesday morning at staff meeting. And they raise their hand just so they do. Okay, would you be quiet, Pastor Allen? Say, I want to get saved again. Just kidding. But look at these people here were, they were, the problem was that Israel, Judah in this case, they were living their lives in more comparison to what the uncircumcised were living their lives. It's tragic, it's terrible. And God was going to bring judgment on that. I remember that saying, listen, you can fool man most of the time, but you can fool God none of the time, right? And they're not fooling God. And we have an opportunity again, like I say, to look at the Lord and look at the people around us and say they need Jesus and be bold to say, why don't you come to church with me? I don't want to go to church. I'd never step foot inside of a church. You know, you know what they remind themselves of some of the older generation? They remember the steeple. They remember the, um, they remember a lot of things and some of them may not have been of the Lord. And you still need to invite them and pray. That they'd come, pray that they get an invitation. If you give them an invitation, let God work on them. But if they don't have a seed, it's not going to grow. You need to have a seed thrown out to them. So the question might come up, what is the Lord supposed to do? Nothing? Is he just going to let them live the way they're going to live and do nothing about it? If he did nothing, it would be in contrast to the way he says he loves them. And he says he loves us. They're playing the harlot and they're reaping what they're sowing. But the entire time the Lord would... Uh, rather they come to him, receive his loving kindness and his mercy, so he's going to do something about it. He wants to, there's going to be this time of chasing. The Bible says the Lord chastens those whom he loves, right? But because they're, they weren't listening, they were to call the mourners, get them ready, start the music. And in chapter 10, look at verse 1, there's this contrast. Of God and the idols, he says, Hear the word of the Lord, uh, hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Well, it's almost like he's bringing this down into this uh, last chapter of this uh, temple, the temple instructions here. He's just bringing it down to the people. Thus says the Lord, Do not lean the way of the Gentiles, nor be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at, the, at them. See, the, the Gentiles and the um, pagan uh, nations, they would be. Uh, Looking at heavens, they would be the astrologers out there, and they'd be looking up at heaven saying, oh, look at this sign. I see a sign there. You see a sign there, and all these different signs. But he's saying, whatever you look at, you need to look to the Lord. You need to look to him. 
And for the customs of the people, verse 3, are futile. And one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. And they fasten it with nails and hammers because, you know, they do this because it can't stand on its own. Some God, right? This is what they're doing. And so that it will not topple, not going to turn over. And they are upright like a palm tree. And they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot... <laughs> They cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, nor uh, uh, for they can cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. They're just dead trees, no reference. Listen, uh, some people have used this. Don't you, this way you shouldn't have Christmas trees. It's not a reference to Christmas trees. I've never seen anybody, a Christian, bowing down to the tree. I've seen them bowing down to the cross, not to the tree. That's not what he's talking about. But anyway, the Lord here is telling them that these idols that they were making were from trees, you know. And he said, look, you make these things, you got to nail them down, you got to carve them, you got to nail them down because they're going to fall over. <laughs> this is what these pagan gods are trusting in, right? The people of Judah had traded in their, their relationship with the Lord, and they're getting these idols. They're cutting down these trees, and they're making these idols or whatever it can be. And I, uh, you know, it's terrible because you have the relationship with the one true God. And then you have to carry around your God. If you've got to carry around your God, you've got the wrong God. Your God should be carrying you around. And all your problems, right? Yeah, you got to carry your God around. Imagine going to work, hey, I got, you know, or imagine this, I got, I got a lot of worry today, man. And you go out and you tinker in your shop or you tinker in your garage. And you go, okay, I got to build a God for worry because I need a God for worry. I'm just worried. I'm stressed out over this stuff. So you, I don't know what the God would look like, but you got to come up with a God that you worry. Then you got to pack him around, worry that he doesn't fall over and you don't break him and you put him up at work. Okay, I'm worried about it. And there's a God. I'm, you know what I mean? That's what they're trusting in. You got to tote him around. And the people, who belong to God were to understand these idols. They have no power. They have no power for good, for bad. They have no power. And there you're following them. The psalmist would say this. He'd say, they have ears, but they do not hear. Eyes, they see. They, they, eyes, they do not see. Mouths, they have, but they cannot speak. And those who, they're, they're dumb, in a sense. And those who make them are like them. <laughs> right? I mean, sadly, they just continued in their ways. Their warnings came. The warnings went. They fell on deaf ears. Look at verse uh, 6. They were to look to God in contrast to these false gods. They were to look to the Lord. And as much as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great and your name is great uh, in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? And for this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. Uh, so then because of his goodness, why leave him? I mean, it's just a question. You know, we talked about Sunday. Why quench the work of the Holy Spirit? All the goodness that he has for our lives. He wants to work in our lives, continue to develop us into the image of his son. I mean, what a privilege that he wants to work in me. You know, he wants to work in you. And the Lord answers this. But they are all together, verse 8, dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Anything that they're trusting in is not the Lord and it's worthless doctrine, you know, whatever it is. Silver is beaten into plates. It is brought from Tarshish and gold from Euphaz and the work of the craftsmen, the hands of the metalsmith, blue and purple are the clothing and they are all the works of the skillful men. You know, uh, obviously Christmas time, we're out looking at these toys for the grandkids and you see all these things are interchangeable, you know, to make them give them more powers, you know, all these little whatever they are. And you put this cape on them or this thing and these eyeballs and, and that's what they're doing there. The clothing they have to have, the skill for them, and you got to change them and their powers change and wherever they are. And whatever happened to Fred and Barney? I mean, they were just so simple back in the day, you know? Whatever happened to them guys? Popeye, just a can of spinach. That's all you needed. <laughs> <laughs> and now you'd be speaking to the younger generation. I go, who? Yeah. <laughs> I teach my kids. And the, the sad thing was I was sitting with Zane when he was real little, bouncing on my knee, and I would, the Flintstones, you know, I put on the Flintstones and I'm on YouTube, right? And then I figured out, I didn't know this. They had a beer commercial and a cigarette commercial in 1963. The Flintstones. Enough said. I'm getting off track here. But you know what I mean. <laughs> Verse 10, it says, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Look, he's telling you, look at, why do you go to those things? Why do you go to the gods that are all dressed up in a silver and gold, this fancy stuff? None of them are going to be what the Lord is to you. None of them. All this beauty, never come close to what God has. You got to carry them around and all this stuff. And Jeremiah describes 
The Lord is the true God in contrast to these false gods. Listen, whatever it is that's in our lives is bogging us down. If you have these open hands, say, Lord, just take this. I don't want it, right? I, I just want you in return. Would you, I love the exchange program with the Lord. You come to him and say, Lord, would you take this? Yeah, I'll take that. Can I have more of you? Remember R.A. Torrey said, it's not how much you can get of the Holy Spirit. It's how much the Holy Spirit can get of you. How much are you willing to give up? How much are you open to say, Lord, take me and all, and all of this? And so it is said in verse 11, verse 11 here, this next verse, and we'll kind of move through this rapidly, is the only verse in the Bible that's written, or in this book, excuse me, that is written in Aramaic instead of Hebrew. And it's written in this language today probably because the Aramaic, in Aramaic, probably because it's directed to the pagan idolaters surrounding Israel. And look at verse 11, it says, For you shall say to them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. Your gods are going to have no value in it. Ask Dagon if you didn't get that. Dagon never worked out. And in contrast to these false gods who created everything, there was the Lord himself. And the Lord himself, he was uh, kind of reintroducing himself. Verse 12, he says, he had made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens uh, at his discretion. I mean, look at what I've done compared to these gods. <laughs> I, I created the trees, I've given them life, and you're making gods out of them. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens and, be, and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth and he makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of the treasures. See, your idols can't even stand up on their own. They need your help. And when it comes to God, he created everything. We need his help. He doesn't need ours. And then in verse 14, he says, uh, everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by the image because they offer no real hope. I mean, they're put to shame. What are you doing? You're wasting a lot of time you're not going to get back. For his molded image is falsehood and there is no breath in them. They are futile, a, worker, a work of errors. In the time of their punishment, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the maker of all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. So this portion, it means share. It means a share, kind of like a share of. It usually is in reference to something allotted to an individual. And in this case, both God belonged to Israel. And in a sense, really, Israel belonged to God. And whatever these idols that they were trusting in, they were to look to God instead of these idols. You know, there's no comparison out there. As I say, we walk through life and we get so mixed up. There's nothing in comparison to God. We should be boasting. We should be glorying in that. I mean, look at what God has given to us. Created all things. And we might find it funny when we look, think about, I mean, we, we landed in El Salvador, went to teach a pastor's conference, and we went up to see the ruins. If anybody ever wants to take you on a site to see ruins, at least for me, don't offer. Ruins, they're there. What, what happened to them? They got ruined. <laughs> anyway, that we get out, and what do they have there? They got all these idols, all these carved heads, all these images, all this stuff. All that, are you kidding me? You see, as creative as their gods might be, they're nothing going to be in comparison with the Lord. Look at verse 17, because he says, judgment is coming. Gather up your wares in, uh, for, for, from the land, O inhabitants uh, of the fortress. He said, people get ready. For the Lord, uh, for thus says the Lord, behold, I will throw out this time the inhabitants of the land. I will distress them that they may find it so. See, the Lord isn't playing around. He's going to make a promise and, and he's going to keep to it. And he's not going to make false promises. There's not going to be that. And he, what he says will come to pass. And in verse 19, here's Jeremiah's response. Woe is me for my hurt. My wound is severe. But I say, truly, this is an affirmity and I must bear it. My tent is plundered. Everything's going to be taken from me. Um, and all my cords are broken. My children are gone from me. The res this is the residents who have been taken and deported. They are no more. There is no one to pitch a tent, uh, to, to pitch my tent anymore or set up my curtains. For the shepherds have become dull-hearted and have not sought the Lord. Therefore, because they're not seeking the Lord, right? They shall not prosper and their flocks shall um, be scattered. See, eventually there's going to come a time when people think they're getting away with it. And he said, no, there's going to come a time and put an end to it. But it's for your own good. You know what? It's for your own good. Behold, the noise of the report has come and the great uh, commotion out of the north uh, country to make the cities of Judah desolate and dens of jackals. So this northern country again refers to the Babylonians 
who the Lord is going to use to come down and be his chastening rod. And because of this, there's a humble plea to God for mercy. And look at verse 23. Oh, Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to uh, direct his own steps. Oh, Lord, correct me, but with justice. Not in, your, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Pour out your fury on the Gentiles who do not know you, and on the families who do not call upon your name. For they have eaten up Jacob, devoured him, and consumed him, and made a dwelling place, uh, made his dwelling place desolate. Listen, Jeremiah sees that as much as the Lord has given us free will, we so need to exercise it in calling upon him. He's given us a free will. But, but he's also, don't ever forget, he's given us the free will to call upon him. I'm here for you. Psalm 50, 15, uh, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. I will deliver you so you, you may bring me glory. See, he gives us a free will, but, it, but it, it's all in how we use that free will. If he demanded us to do certain things, then it wouldn't be free will. If he demanded us to love him, it wouldn't be a true love. But he says, I, I, I want you to do this. I'm going to show you how much I love you. Listen, in our day that we live in, I'm going to show you how much I love you. How much does he love us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in reality, we need, we need to choose him. I'd be, I'd be the biggest fool thinking that I can do it on my own. Do, do live life on my own. I got this. I remember the day in, in uh, six days, 30 years ago is the day I met Jesus. And I remember the day is good today as I did that day, because I remember telling the Lord, you want my life? There's nothing left of it. It's a mess. Right? I mean, listen, he says, you need to be born again, you repent. I said, I'll repent, but you want my life? I mean, what are you going to do with it? You want my life? And I kind of chuckled at what I was giving the Lord, because I messed, I was messed up, and he was getting the raw end of the deal. I mean, you know what? I, that's what I, I, it's just the way I felt. He, he was going to run into the deal. I mean, I'm coming to you. You want me. Why do you want me? I'm of no value. But he was, I was right. I was no value. But in his hands, I became value. And that's the same with each and every one of us. You see, outside of Christ, we have no value. But we come to Christ, we have value. And he puts his signature on the bottom of the vase. He said, that's mine. When we're on Jeremiah, we'll get to that. We're, we're, we're the potter. Where the, where the clay, he's a potter in his hands and he works these miracles. See, Jeremiah, he can see what's going to happen to Judah because of the rebellion. He can see that. And, and he kind of mourns over this. And, and isn't it true that you and I today, we see the same thing, right? We see and we pain for those who are backslidden. It causes us that mourning, that time of, ah, man, I can't believe this. And we hurt. And every week, and week after week, we go through this and we're hearing it here. You know, well, we're going to go hear Jeremiah again. You guys are coming back and that's great. So, but, but here's the thing, you know, <laughs> there's week after week, the, re, the people are rebelling. And, and, and this reminds me week after week of how important it is to fulfill our part and pray. Pray for the people. Or even pray for ourselves because maybe you need renewed hope. That God is still at work. You know that song that we sang Sunday, you know, you're, you're, you're at work even when I don't see it. I know you're working, and he is working. God's never stopped. He doesn't tire like you and I, you know. He's just, he's there. He's doing things. Well, maybe you find yourself, you know, your prayer's getting cold, your faith getting old. Maybe you find yourself like that. And, and, and then you could cry out, even in the midst of that, Lord, yeah, I feel dry, I feel cold, but Lord, I want the power of your Holy Spirit. I want to be renewed. So in the midst of all that, you're like, yeah, I'm dredging, I'm going through Jeremiah. I'm like, get me when you get into Psalms or something else. <laughs> but no, it just reminds me so much of how our part is, the part that we can play in all this. And so we have this single log. It can be burned out easily and it doesn't last long unless we're in the fire together. Because we're just all crying out as a church. We're just like crying, God, fill me afresh with the power of your Holy Spirit. God, fill me. Yeah, my prayers are cold. Yes, my faith is old. Yes, I'm a little tested right now. Yes, I need to be renewed. Yes, I need renewed hope. Let's cry out to God and say, God, bring it. Fill me. Fill me afresh. Let's stand together. Father, we come tonight. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. 
While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time. And remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.